Well, what an incredible privilege that was to be part of, and thank you so much, Scott, for coming and representing the district on that. And this is the first time I've ever had that experience, and so I'm definitely grateful for it. And uh, grateful for you as a church. And I look forward to all that God has in store for us as we continue to pursue Jesus above all things. And uh, we're in this series called The Promises of God. And we're asking this question, this kind, of, this kind of root question that said, what would our lives really look like if we truly believed the promises of God? What would it actually look like as, as a husband or a wife or as parents, as, as, a, as an employer or an employee, if we truly lived and believed the promises of God, the promise that I will be with you, the promise that I will help you, the promise that I will give you wisdom, and the promise that I will work all things out for my good and for my glory? And what would it look like if we truly could lean into that? See, what is a promise? A promise is a declaration of assurance, right? That one will do a particular thing or or that a particular thing will actually happen. And many of us in this room, if not all of us in this room, have, have made promises. Or we've been on the receiving side of a promise. We've regretfully have broken promises. And we've also received broken promises. And if we're maybe a little more even brutally honest, we've given empty promises with no hope and no really uh, plan to fulfill it, but just to try to get ourselves out of a tricky situation. And we've also been brokenhearted by broken promises, haven't we? So the question is, if we've all experienced the good and the bad and the ugly of promises, what makes a promise trustworthy? What makes something the promises of God? Why can we rely on the promises of God when people around us break their promises all the time, ourselves included? And here's the thing, three reasons, and this is just a little recap from week one as we establish this series, is that we can, we ask, what's the relationship like? Who said it? Do they know you? Do they love you? What's the relationship with the, with the promise giver? Two, what's the reliability? What's their record, their track record? Or have they come through in the past? And thirdly, what's the resources? What's their ability to actually accomplish or achieve what they promised? Do they have it within their permission? Do they have the promise within their reach? So relationship, reliability, and resources. And as we gauge those, and we will often gauge those three categories even without thinking about it really, really quickly when somebody makes a promise to us. But here today, I'm here to tell you on behalf of, of God, which I've experienced in my relationship with God and, and what Paul has said in his church, the Corinth. And he says in, in, in chapter 120, he says, All God's promises have been fulfilled in Christ with a resounding yes. And, all through, and, and, all, and through Christ, our amen, which means yes, ascends to God for his glory. Today, church, we have this promise that we have a God who loves us relationally, he is reliable. He's been trustworthy yesterday, today, and forever. And he owns a thousand. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He has got every resource possible to do what he said he would do. And so today, when he says, I promise, whatever that promise is, we can rest with insurance that it will come true. It will come. It will happen. And so today, with that foundation, we can lean into today's promise. And the promise that we have today is that I will give you wisdom. I will give you wisdom. And our verse for today, or our text from today, is found in, in James. And so you can open your books, to, your Bibles to James, or you can follow along on the screen, or you can even open a new version Bible app under events, and you can follow along on my no, our notes there. But here's what James 1, 5, it says, If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And here's the promise. 
And it will be given to you. And it will be given to you. Now, I don't know if there's anyone else in this room, but I need wisdom a lot. (laughs) I don't know if you're here today and you're like, yeah, I could use a little bit of wisdom with what's going on in my family. I could use a little bit of what's going on in my work. I could use a little bit of wisdom what's going on in our community, in our world around us. I need wisdom. Who among us could use a little wisdom these days? And in the midst of all the challenging times we rest, not only do you hear the promise that I'll be with you and that I'll help you, but we can, we can rest in the promise that the God, the source of all wisdom, will actually give us wisdom. He'll actually heed our request and give us insight and understanding. And I, I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but usually the prayer for wisdom or the promise of wisdom is always found in the crevice of conflict or strife, of hardship. How many of you have prayed this prayer? Lord, I don't know what to do. I need wisdom. Anybody prayed that prayer? I prayed that this morning. I think I've actually prayed that prayer every day since I started here because you guys are stressing me out. No, I'm just joking. Is it too late to turn? No, I'm just joking. But it's not, it's, it's the day we're in. As, as a parent, as a dad, as a husband. God, I need wisdom. Come on, anyone, you know what I'm talking about. How do I respond? How do I lead well? How do I love well? What's the right thing to do? in this moment, in this circumstance, with that individual, and in this relationship. God, I need your wisdom. It's found in this sense of conflict, in this sense of uncertainty, in this sense of strife, in in this season of tension. And this promise that James delivers, this promise that James, the brother of Jesus, who saw not just Jesus act in wisdom, but Jesus, the source of wisdom, live out his life. James, the brother of John, says, listen, you can receive wisdom, but it doesn't just come in the good times. He actually says, if you back up just a few verses, he says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith, what? Develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work in you, so you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. However, if you lack wisdom, In this season, and in this hardship, and in this trial, and in this uncertainty, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Do you know who all means? All. It means you. It's not just the pastor. It's not just the spiritual leader. It's not just the the, the seasoned or the mature. No, it's all. He gives all without finding fault. You want wisdom. If you want to hear from God, God will speak to you. How many people are grateful that we serve a God who will speak to his children? He will speak to his people. When you ask for wisdom, he, with generosity, with a generous heart, open hand, will give you wisdom. Come on, that's something we can be confident in today. Even Paul writes in Ephesians 5.15, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, here it is, but as wise, making the most out of every opportunity. Why? Because the days are evil. Listen, this tension that we're feeling today, this, this tension or this evil that we feel rising up in the world around us, this isn't new for us. This isn't unique to our generation. This is not unique to our time. Evil exists because there is, there is good. Where there's good, there is evil. And it's been, it's been this constant thing all throughout time and history. And the church has had to rally together in the face of evil to make wise decisions. 
And so wisdom, rather, then, is, God, is our godly response to the external or even the internal conflict. And it's recognized our, our frailty and our need to, for God to help. And this is as true today as it was back in King Solomon's day, back in Solomon's life in the early years of his life. Luke told a lot of stories last week, so I felt a little bit like I should tell a story too. Um, I want to tell a story. It was, nine, it was 970 B.C., so before Christ, in Jerusalem, and King David was feeble, he's old, he's dying. And in the world of monarchy, and, and especially uh, historic, in the historic world of, of kind of, you got to fight for everything you get, there is this power, this battle for power on the throne that is forming behind closed doors. And you can imagine the whispering and the scheming and the king is dying and people are, who is going to be the next king? Who is going to sit on the throne? Who is going to lead and lead this kingdom? And, and David's two oldest sons, Amnon and Absalom, have are both died. And so Adonai is sort of scheming for the throne. He's sort of next in line. And he's scheming for the throne. And, and according to the customs of succession, it could rightfully be his according to the line of succession. But the problem was this, is that David didn't want Adonai to be king. He actually wanted Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, to be king. He wanted Solomon, who was further down the line of succession. And so Adonai, he removed swiftly in the secret to, to seek support from the royal officials and, and even some of David's mighty men. Some of David's mighty men were the, some of the closest to him. Some of the ones who fought in battles with him, shoulder by shoulder, side by side, even to help him secure the kingdom. And so Adonai is going to find all of these men to rally a support system. And, the, and he begins to plan for the removal of any threat, any quote-unquote threat, that would rise up against his claim. And one of these threats, as history proves itself through the transition of power, is other family members who have a claim to the throne. And so he's not only planning to take the throne, he's trying to remove any threats of his half-brothers or, or other brothers who would want to take the throne from him. And word comes back to King David, and so King David has got to move swiftly. And so King David moves quickly, and he appoints Solomon as co-regent and had him anointed as king into kingship clearly so that people would see that Solomon was his choice. And they ruled together until David died. When, and then Adonai knew this plan was thwarted and he knew that he had no leg to stand on. He fled for his own life because he knew that history says my life now is at risk. And so Solomon here is now he's a 20-year-old kid. He's a 20-year-old kid. Now he is the king of a divided nation. He's leading in a season where there is division and there is some who wanted him and there's others who are following Adoniah and now he is left to lead in division. And he goes up to Gibeon and he offers a thousand burnt offerings and he starts his kind of this, this rule as king kind of on the throne where he's, he's worshiping God and God finds pleasure in him and, and when Solomon goes to sleep, God appears to Solomon in a dream and essentially he says, Ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. You know, God finds favor in Solomon. He found favor in David. He found favor in his son Solomon. He says, ask whatever you want, and I will give it to you. Now, listen, Solomon's 20 years old. He's young. He's naive. He's inexperienced. There's a lot of things he probably could want. Listen, I want riches and fame. I want, I want a beautiful wife and, and lots of, you know, a, a, just a, 
I want people to love on me and dote on me. I want you to kill my brother. I want you to kill all my enemies. All those people that rose up against me, I want you to take them out. He could have asked for anything. And yet in this moment, he recognizes his need to lead well and to serve others. He knew that he was a child and he had so much to learn. And so he asked God for a heart of understanding to lead and to govern well. To know the difference between right and wrong. And we pick up the story in 1 Kings 3, chapter, in verse 11. It says, so God replied, because you have asked for wisdom in governing my people with justice, and you have not asked for a long life or for wealth or the death of your enemies, I will give you what you asked for. I will give you a wise and understanding heart such as no one else has ever had or ever will have. And I will also give you what you did not ask for, riches and fame. No other king in all the world will be compared to you for the rest of your life. And if, here's the caveat, and this is if you have your Bibles, you can circle this. This if is sort of a big number, right? That's a big word. And if you follow me and obey my decrees and my commandments as your father did, I will give you a long life. And so in this moment, King Solomon all of a sudden becomes this person, this one of the wisest kings that the known world, and even our world, really, in all of history has ever known. World leaders and kings would travel great distances to sit under his teachings, and they would send their, their, their monarchy and their, their people to learn under him and to grow in his wisdom and his understanding, because he, he knew scripture and he could approach life with such wisdom that no one had ever experience. And today, you and I, as we read the book of Proverbs, we even, we, we, we are also drawing from his wisdom, and we're learning from his experience. But what is wisdom? What is it really? Like the definition of wisdom, if you were to Google it or look on the dictionary, is it's a noun, it's a quality of having experience, knowledge, and good judgment. And that's great. That sounds really, really great. But in the worldly wisdom, that strives for status and self-recognition. I want to show you how much I no, I want to show you how smart I am. I want to show you how wise I am. It's about me and my place and my authority and my position within a community, within an organization, within a people group. But this isn't the wisdom that Solomon sought after. In fact, Paul talks and he says that the wisdom of this world is foolishness in God's sight. In 1 Corinthians, he even says that the foolishness of this, uh, the foolish, the, the wise, the wisdom of men is even futile. So we're not talking about earthly wisdom. We're not talking about wisdom that is self-serving. James actually brings clarity to this, what this wisdom actually is that Solomon was seeking after. In James 3.13, he says, If you are wise and understand God's ways, if you're wise and you understand God's ways, don't just tell me, don't just wax eloquent, don't just show me your words you know. He says, prove it. Prove it. Prove it by living an honorable life. By doing good works in the humility that comes from wisdom. Living an honorable life, doing good works in the humility that comes from wisdom. You see, the wisdom that Saul sought after, the wisdom that James is talking about, is not the wisdom to be right. It is the wisdom to unite. It's not the wisdom that boasts about me and, and, the, and tells you how right I am. It's the wisdom of serving others to unite 
one another. And I don't know what you're feeling like in your home, but it feels like everywhere we go, we are divided, doesn't it? Everywhere we go, it's, we're seeing divisions in families. We're seeing divisions in homes with, with our children, our grandchildren. We're seeing divisions in our churches. We're seeing divisions in our government. We're seeing divisions everywhere. And wisdom will want to puff up and say, I am right. Listen to me. I am right. But that is not the wisdom that God is wanting to give us. The wisdom that he is seeking for us to walk in is the wisdom to unite, to prove it, to prove our wisdom by living honorable lives, doing good work in the humility that comes from wisdom. It's not about enhancing our own reputation so that others think we are smart. That's foolishness. That's futile. But it's about serving others. See, real wisdom is the Christ-shaped character of a life that seeks the good for others. I'm seeking the good for others. James defines it. It's doing good works and the humility that comes from wisdom. He goes on in, chapter, in verse 17. He says, for wisdom from above is what? It's pure. It's also peace-loving and gentle at all times. It's, it's willing to yield to others and it's full of mercy. And the fruit, of the, uh, the fruit of good deeds. And it shows no favoritism. And it's always sincere. See, he's redefining wisdom, isn't he? He's, he's, he's not holding any punches. He's redefining what true wisdom is. And it does not look like what the world sells as wisdom. The wisdom that God is talking about, godly wisdom, looks very different. The wisdom that God offers, it says it's to serve rather than be served. It's to give rather than get. It's to lay down your life for others rather than having somebody lay down their life for you. Wisdom is humbling ourselves for the good of others. You see, real wisdom in the biblical tradition, rather, it's understanding that I'm a deeply flawed person, that I have cracks in my own character, and that I fail a lot. And it's because of this reality I get a realistic view of my character. What that does is it puts me in a place of humility and wisdom to understand my need for God in my life, my need to, for, for God's grace and mercy to transform me if I'm ever going to live the life and be the person that God intended me to be. And by also really recognizing that other people are as, as value, if not more important than me. Listen, it's not just about me. When I recognize that the image of God in one another, when I don't see them as the enemy or I don't see them as evil, but I see them as a man or a woman created in the image of God, when I can get a real understanding of who they are and not what they're talking about or not the words that they're saying or the actions they're taking, but understand that they are a person created in the image of God, it's easier. It's, it's easier to serve in humility it's not a task or a chore, you see, but it's the response or the overflow of a Christ-shaped character being developed and deployed within us. See, a couple of things I've realized about wisdom is that godly wisdom often requires us to do the opposite of our natural inclinations. It, it choose, it, it's the opposite of our natural inclinations. It's when we want to puff up our chest and prove how right we are, it's not what wisdom is, because it's not about proving my right. Wisdom isn't about being right. It's about working to unite. And anything that works to divide is not wisdom. That's not godly wisdom. Godly wisdom works to unite in all things. In humility, serving others, living an honorable life, and doing good. So it's the opposite of my natural inclination. 
Secondly, it's, it goes against conventional wisdom, conventional wisdom of our day. It's not a focus about self-preservation, but about furthering the kingdom of God. It's not about me and my platform and my place, but it's about building up God and serving God's kingdom. And I love how Solomon, he says, listen, the first thing about getting wisdom, getting wisdom is the wisest thing you can do, he says. Another translation says, the beginning of wisdom is this, get wisdom. I love it. You want wisdom? Get it. It's just like straight to the point. You want wisdom? The beginning of wisdom, the first step of wisdom is just get it. Go after it. Seek it. Find it. Discover it. Apply it. Work for it. But four things I really want to tell you before we leave today of how do we get wisdom? How do we apply this wisdom into our lives? Could you lose a little help? I could use a little bit of help as I seek out wisdom for my life. Here's a few tips to help you along your way. One is that we want to begin with the Bible. It's a good place to start, isn't it? Begin with God's word. Read God's word. Know God's word. Thy word have I hated in my heart, David said, that I will not sin against you. I want to hide your word in my heart. Proverbs 9.10 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And we're not talking about temp tremble. We're not talking about be afraid of. The fear of the Lord is recognizing that God is God and I am not. Right? The fear of the Lord is putting God on the throne that he alone is, 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 is good and right and just and sovereign and I am not in my natural tendency. So I'm not going to put myself on top of or beside but underneath the authority of God. The fear of the Lord, this is where it all starts, is putting ourselves into alignment so the wisdom can flow down. And the knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So this is as we get to know God's word, as we get to know God's heart, we begin to understand the heart of God, how God loves, how God lives, who God loves, right? We work through that. Secondly, Paul talks about in Colossians, he says, let the message of Christ, the word of Christ, in all of its richness, fill your hearts, teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom he gives. Listen, the word of God is there to breathe life and give you wisdom and counsel. No one is born wise, but we must be acquire, we acquire wisdom through relationship with God. So in order to live like Jesus, we must think like Jesus by knowing the words and the heart of Jesus. There used to be this bracelet that everyone used to wear on their wrist, WWJD. What would Jesus do? And we've kind of lost it in our in, in our world, but the truth is this, when you find yourself in conflict, when you find yourself at an impasse, it's good to step, to step back and to look at scripture and say, what would Jesus do in this situation? How would Jesus respond? How did Jesus respond when he faced this kind of conflict and, 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 and situation in scripture? And how can I learn from that? Begin with the Bible. Secondly, we need to walk with the wise. I believe this to be true in my life. It's finding people who are more experienced, finding people who have, who have been further down the road, who have walked, with, uh, walked through life differently. I know Wendy and I have found couples in our life and we see how they've raised their children and we see the, the relationship they have with their kids and we want to walk with them. We want what they have done with their kids to impact us and to, to bleed on us a little bit so we can learn from their experiences. Finding men and women of faith who've gone further than you, who have gone down the road, who've walked through the hard times and learn how they have walked through that, the wisdom that they've gained through experience. Proverbs 3, 13, 20 says, walk with the wise and what? You'll become wise. Walk with the wise and you become wise. But for the companion of fools suffers harm. You've heard the phrase, and I'll say it again, show me your friends and I'll show you your future. Who are you surrounding yourself with? Who are you allowing to influence you? 
Who are you allowing to speak into those critical moments of your life? Are they ones who begin with the Bible? Or are they ones who lead with their raw emotions? Who are you allowing to influence you? Walk with the wise, and you will become wise. Thirdly, and probably most importantly, mind your mouth. Now, I know this sounds a little bit like direct, but this, is all, this, is, this gives hope for everybody. Come on, you, you're like, there's no way on earth anyone's going to see me as wise. I am not a wise person. I'm going to tell you how you can become wise really, really quick. Here it is. You want to read it? This is from Proverbs 17. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. Come on, can I get an amen? Anyone here just super grateful? Listen, I don't have to say anything. I just got to shut up, right? I just got to stay silent. And they're, with their mouths shut, they seem intelligence. Listen, it's time we just don't say everything that comes to our mind. Pastor Craig Rochelle of LifeChurch.tv, he says, everything you say needs to be true, but not everything true needs to be said. I'm going to say that again because some of you need to write that down. Everything you say needs to be true. Don't lie. But not everything true needs to be said. Just because you think it doesn't mean you need to speak it. Just because you feel it doesn't need to be addressed in that moment at that time. Not everything you experience in life needs to be shared on Facebook. Can you hear me today, church? I think we as a church, as a people, would be a lot wiser and be viewed as a lot wiser if we would just learn this wind principle of minding our mouth. Can I tell you this? This is a little bit of a, I'm going to poke a little bit. Memes on social media that a lot of us share without thinking because we think it's catchy or it's, it's going to create a reaction. This is, our, memes are designed to divide. That's what they're doing. They're designed to divide. And you know it as soon as you see one, especially if you see one posted by your friend. And it stings. It did what its job. It's meaning it, they're designed to divide. Social media, don't be, let social media become your soap ops where you just to spit whatever you want out. Even if it's true, it's not the platform. What does wisdom do? Wisdom is not to be right. It's to work to what? Unite. And so will the words that I'm going to speak here today work to unite us? Or is it going to work to divide us? Am I trying to prove that I'm right, even if it's going to cost me the relationship? And if that's it, then that is not the wisdom that God is talking about. That is not the wisdom that Solomon sought after. He's looking for wisdom to unite. Even fools are thought wise if they keep silent. But with their mouth shut, they seem intelligent. The last one is this. For remain teachable. Remain teachable. Allow yourself to ask questions. Allow yourself to engage in conversations where you are allowing yourself not to be right. To learn from others' experiences and to apply their experiences to your life so that you can grow. Proverbs 15 31, if you listen to the constructive criticism, you will be at home among the wise. Listen, the wise are always learning. The wise are always asking questions. They're always growing. They're always expanding their horizon. Working to unite. Proverbs 13.10 For wisdom is found in those who take advice.
It's okay to ask questions, to hear from others, and to have others speak wisdom into your life. Who are you allowing to speak wisdom into your life? Who are you, who are you walking with and who are you engaging with? Who are you learning from? I believe God, through Scripture, He will speak to you, but God will also give you brothers and sisters, men and women in your life who will encourage you through their experiences. And we can learn from that. And we can apply that to our life. More than, more than that, we can seek after it. In Proverbs, this is what Solomon says in Proverbs 2, 3-6, to he says, If you call out for insight. Listen, there's this big if word again. If, meaning it's on us. It's on you. The promise is there, but there's work that we have to do. The promise is there, but we have to step out first. And we have to ask. We have to reach out. So if we call out for insight and cry aloud for understanding, and here's that word again, and if you look up for this, for, look for it for silver and search for it for hidden treasure, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find knowledge from God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From his mouth comes knowledge and understanding. Here's the promise to you today, that if you seek it, you will find it. If you knock, the door will be open. If you ask for wisdom today in whatever situation you are facing, God in his promise will give you wisdom. But the wisdom he's giving is not the wisdom to be right. It is the wisdom to unite. Which may be not the answer you are looking for. And that's where the fear of the Lord becomes because that's when we need to say, God, I don't necessarily see how this is going to play out, but I'm going to trust in you anyway. I'm going to trust in your sovereignty. I'm going to trust in your Lordship and your goodness and your grace. See, Solomon received godly wisdom when he asked for it from the Lord and, and he became great and he became great wisdom and he, he became known for his wisdom yet tragedy struck later in his years when he turned away from following the wisdom he had been given and he disobeyed the Lord even and he even began to worship idols see receiving wisdom did not ensure that Solomon would follow the path of wisdom sadly he exchanged godly wisdom for worldly wisdom and he suffered for the he went for the downfall and God removed his hand of blessing from the man he once was great from the man who once was great and here's what I've learned from Solomon's story and the tragedy of how he ended. Is that the promise of wisdom is this. It hinges on our willingness to stay close to and hear the heart of Jesus in and through all of life's challenges. It hinges on our willingness to stay close, to hear the voice of God, the heart of God, in and through all of life's challenges. So what is wisdom really quickly before we close? Real wisdom is Christ-shaped character of a life that seeks for the good of others. And how do we grow in wisdom? How do we receive the promise of wisdom? We begin with the Bible. We walk with the wise. We mind our mouth and we remain teachable. And here's the promise. In time and over time, through experience, we will gain knowledge that leads to good judgment that proves our love for Jesus by loving the ones that Jesus loves. And that is the promise of godly wisdom. I'm going to invite you to stand to your feet today.
I mean, I know the world we're in right now is divided. It's obvious. But I'm here asking you today, do you, what do you need wisdom for? Maybe you're in a situation where you need God's wisdom, you need God's counsel, you need God's direction. And I want to hear to tell you that if you just seek after it, you will find it today. You don't have to worry, you don't have to struggle, you don't have to doubt, you don't have to wonder, but you can receive it. No matter who you are, whether it's your first time in your in first, first time in your relationship with God, the first time you prayed, or the thousandth time you prayed, God and His wisdom will give you wisdom. And so I want to pray for you today. And if you're here and you say, Yeah, I need wisdom. I need wisdom in this situation. I need counsel. I need understanding. I need God to direct my steps. If that's you, can I just want you to close your eyes and I want you to open your hands in a receiving position. I want to pray for you before we leave today. So go ahead. If you're here in this place, let's every head bowed. Let's close our eyes. And if you're here today and you need wisdom, just want to open your hands just in your own words right now, you say, God, I need you. God, I need wisdom today. And so, God, you hear our prayer. God, you see our hearts. God, you know that we are frail, that we are broken, that we are cracked, that we have, we make mistakes, that in and of our own selves, God, we don't have the wisdom to lead well. And so, God, today we start by recognizing that you are God. We put you back on the throne of our life. We align ourselves under your authority and your judgment and your leadership and your lordship. And God, in this place of surrender, Holy Spirit, we pray that you would give us wisdom and understanding to know what to do, to know what to say, to know what, know what not to say, know when to push and know when to stand, know when to turn right or turn to ten, turn left. God, we pray that you would give us the right steps in this situation, whatever it is. And as, as people are standing here today, whether they're watching at home or, or in this room, as they're thinking about the situation, God, you hear everyone. You know everyone. You know the details of it. You know the rawness of it. You know the emotions of it. You know the relationships that are in it. And God, by your grace, will you bestow wisdom and clarity and understanding and courage we may walk in a way that not proves that we are right, but works to unite for your glory and for your, your kingdom's sake, we pray. In your precious name, amen. Amen. I just want to thank you so much for coming to church. And if you're here and you want to take a step, or maybe you have a prayer request and you want someone to pray with you, you can either indicate that on the card, or you can go to the back and, and Jane is back there. She would love to connect with you and answer any questions you may have. Also, I want to remind you that Claudia is outside, and one way that we can live out the grace and the love and the generosity of Christ is by giving to others in our community who desperately need to help. And if you haven't done so already, I want to encourage you to do something. Do something. And allow God's grace and love to flow through you this Christmas season. Now I bless you with the truth that the God of hope will be with you in all things. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless you today in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You are dismissed. God bless. Have a fantastic, fantastic day. Bye-bye.